Welcome to One Chapel. We're a family of neighborhood churches in the Austin area. Our vision is to help people move from where they are to where God wants them to be. It's a place to connect, grow, and serve the communities where we live. You can learn more about One Chapel and how to get involved at onechapel.com. And now, here's this week's message. Hey everybody, we are starting a new series today called What Went Wrong. If you did not get message notes when you came in, lift up your hands nice and high. The ushers will come to you and get those to you so that you can follow along. And we are kind of in the, the home stretch for Easter, which is not too far away. And I just want to let you know ahead of time, Easter is going to be wonderful. Not only is it going to be our first Easter here at Liberty Hill, but we have some very, very special things planned that you are absolutely going to love. The series is called What Went Wrong, and I want to start in the book of John, chapter 8, a passage of scripture that is really foundational to the Christian faith. And it, um, verse 31, it says this, Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We're going to skip on to verse 36. So if the sun sets you free, you are truly free. Now, this is foundational to our faith. We know that Jesus came, died for our sins, and rose and was resurrected for the express purpose of setting us free. Not just so that we could be with him in heaven, but so that we could experience freedom here as we walk on the earth. It is the message of the gospel. It is, it is the message that has gone around the world for 2,000 years and has changed millions and millions of lives. We know it, and it's really pretty easy to get. It's pretty simple. However, when it comes to walking out that freedom from day to day, it can be a little bit more challenging. How many of you maybe have something in your life where it's easy to understand but maybe it's a little bit more difficult to actually do it. Have you ever had anything like that? Yeah. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just be really super vulnerable to you guys because, hey, that's what we're supposed to do. I think it's right. But I want to share with you something that I'm pretty sure just about every person in this building, including all the kids in bigs and maybe even littles and tinies can do, but that I cannot do. All right? So I'm going to, it's kind of embarrassing, but I'm going to pull out here. I have a, a package of of bubble gum, okay? And ever since I was a little kid, I have never been able to blow a bubble with a piece of bubble gum. I've never done it. All the kids could do it. They were like, you know, pretend like they were major league ball players. I would try it so many times. I cannot figure out how to do it. I think there might be something genetically wrong with me <laughs> that causes me not to be able to do it. And it's kind of, kind of crazy. In fact, about a year ago, there was one day... I was in the Austin staff meeting, and Jansen, who is the youth pastor in Austin, um, my, my secret of not being able to blow a bubble uh, became known. And so Jansen took it upon himself to try to coach me in uh, how to blow a bubble. And so he spent the better part of an afternoon trying to teach me how to do it. And after a lot of time trying different techniques, different, different, different ways, you want to know what he said to me? You're hopeless. <laughs> and I'm like, I know, I can't do it. I can't do it. Easy to understand, 
for me, a little bit harder to do. There in your notes, there's a statement there. One of the major reasons why we struggle to walk in freedom is simply life. (laughs) Life happens. And life throws things at us that create a gap between our expectations and our experiences. In other words, I would love to be like all the other kids and be able to blow a bubble. That's my expectation. However, my experience shows that I can't do it. And there's a gap there. And you want to know what that gap creates? The next blank in your notes. This is called disappointment. Disappointment. Now, we all have disappointments, right? We all have a gap between what we hope is and what actually is, okay? We don't know when. We don't know how. We don't know where. We don't know why. But they will come. Now, I know that blowing a bubble is not really important, (laughs) okay? It's not really earth-shattering. Now, when I was five and six years old, maybe it kind of was, but it's not right now. But you know, and you may even be facing some things right now that are huge, and they're important. Facing things that there's this feeling that, that things in your life, that people, circumstances, finances maybe, relationships, life itself... It should be better expectations. But what you're actually experiencing is it's kind of down here. And that gap creates something in you that is a huge disappointment, okay? So what I want to do is I want to take a look at a person in the Bible that you know actually pretty well. He's known as one of the greatest kings of Israel. He is the guy that killed Goliath. It's King David. And we're going to look at some of the disappointments that he had in his life. And I think that we're all going to be able to relate to this. So I'm going to start in 1 Samuel chapter 16 in verse 7. And David was young at this time. He was a shepherd living with his father and all of his older brothers. And Samuel, who was the prophet, was coming to anoint the next king of Israel. And he knew it was going to be from this household, but he didn't know who it was. And so the dad was trotting out all the older brothers. And we're going to pick up the story in verse 10. It says, but Samuel said to Jesse... The Lord has not chosen any of these that you've brought to me, any of these brothers. Then Samuel asked, are these all the sons that you have? They're still the youngest, Jesse replied, but he's out in the field watching the sheep and goats. Send for him at once, Samuel said. We will not sit down to eat until he arrives. So Jesse sent for him. He, David, was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. And the Lord said, this is the one anoint him. So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil he brought and anointed David with oil. And the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that very first day. Now you you're, might say, well, that doesn't sound like a disappointment. He was just told by God through the prophet that he's going to be the next king of Israel. No, that's awesome. But where the disappointment comes in is it didn't actually take place for another 15 years. Have you ever had a delayed dream, something that you thought was going to happen, but it didn't take place. Now, that can make disappointment. I kind of think of the, the, uh, the, the Pixar movie, Up, where Ellie and Carl, the two characters, they have this little jar that they're saving their pennies to go on their dream vacation, but guess what? Life happens. They have a blowout. They have to go to the, the doctor. They have to do this. Something doesn't go right, and that jar gets depleted to where they cannot have the dream that they had hoped for disappointment. The gap is there. This happened to David. David had more disappointments. This is going to be 1 Samuel 18, 
Starting in verse 1, it says, After David had finished talking with Saul, who was the king, he met Jonathan, the king's son. There was an immediate bond between them, for Jonathan loved David, so he's got this great friend. But from that day on, Saul kept David with him and wouldn't let him return home. So, okay, great, David's got the, this good friend, and he's, he's in, in the king's palace, but he's trapped. He can't go. He can't even go home anymore. That's not great. Have you ever felt trapped? Have you ever felt like you've been in a situation where like, you were between a rock and a hard place, and you were stuck sandwiched in there, and you couldn't get out and had no way to get out? It is not a good feeling, and it is disappointing. One of the, the, the most graphic stories of entrapment I ever heard, you, you may remember this a few years ago, I heard this story of, of three young ladies that had been abducted when they were very young, this was in Cleveland, Ohio, they were abducted and they were held captive, hostage in this house for over a decade and abused and tormented by this, this awful monster. And one day, one of them finally managed to escape like 10 years later. And the, of course, the police came and it was just this crazy, crazy story. I cannot imagine what it must have been like to fill that trap. Now, that's extreme, but many people that I meet, they feel trapped. They feel like they have no choice this way. They feel like they have no choice this way. They feel like they have no way out. David felt trapped. Going on to um, 1 Samuel 18, verse 5. Whatever Saul asked David to do, David did it successfully. So Saul made him a commander over the men of war, an appointment that was welcomed by the people and Saul's officers alike. When the victorious Israelite army was returning home after David had killed the Philistine, women from the town of Israel came out to meet King Saul. They sang and danced for joy with tambourine and cymbals, and this was their song. Saul has killed his thousands, and David has killed his ten thousands. Well, this made Saul very angry. What's this, he said? They credit David with ten thousands and me with only thousands. Next, they'll be making him king. Now, that was kind of ironic because... Little did Saul know, but David had already been anointed king, okay? And this guy right here is getting a little bit jelly. <laughs> Verse 9, so from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. The very next day, a tormenting spirit from God overwhelmed Saul. He began to rave in his house like a madman. David was playing the harp as he did each day, but Saul had a spear in his hand, and he suddenly hurled it at David intending to pin him to the wall, but David escaped twice. You see, Saul's jealousy, his rage, now David is in danger and he's in fear. It's amazing that I can think over the years how many people that I have met who live with this kind of fear. Maybe they live in a situation where there's verbal or emotional abuse, maybe even spiritual abuse, physical abuse, or even sexual abuse. And it is fearful. It is fear-producing. It is dangerous. David was in that situation. And then it gets worse. This is 1 Samuel 19, verse 11. It says, after, there was after another spearing attempt, okay, David escaped from Saul. And in verse 11, it says, then Saul sent troops to watch David's house. They were told to kill David 
when he came out the next morning, and in verse 15, Saul said, bring him to me in his bed so I can kill him. So the, the casual spear throwing has now turned into, he's got to escape, and I've got an army after him, and I don't care whether he's sleeping or not. I want him dead. Bring him to me. Okay, this is, this is not good. And David is on the run for four years. He's in hiding. He's in fear of imminent danger. He's homeless, and it's awful. This is disappointing. And then there's this moment where this awful stuff is happening, and he finally thinks he's getting to a safe place, and he finds a home for his family and all of his men that came with him in a place called Ziklag. And in 1 Samuel 30, verse 1, it says, Three days later, when David and his men arrived at their hometown in Ziklag, they found that the Amalekites had made a raid into the Negev and Ziklag, and they had crushed Ziklag and burned it to the ground. They had carried off the women and the children and everyone else, but without killing anyone. When David and his men saw the ruins and realized what had happened to their families, they wept until they could weep no more. David's two wives, uh, Ahinoam and Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal from Carmel were among those captured. David was now in great danger because all of his men were very bitter after losing their sons and daughters, and they began to talk of stoning him. Now, let's recap this just for a second, just so that you have this picture of David's disappointments. First, he's told he's going to be king, but it doesn't happen for 15 years. That's delayed dreams. That's disappointing. And then he becomes trapped in a place that he can't leave. That's disappointment. And then he's in danger and in fear. And then he has to go on the run. And he finally gets to this place where he thinks everything is going to be okay. And he's going to be safe. And then another army that he's not expecting comes in, takes his family away, carries off everything and burns his safe place to the ground. And now the men and, and people that are around him that he thought were his friends are now turning against him. Guys, this is a bad day. This is awful. This is fear. This is disappointment. Now, my question to you is, have you ever felt like that before? Have you ever felt like, can I just not catch a break? <laughs> can, something, can something please go right today? I think we've all been there. We've all had disappointments, okay? Well, now the good news is this, okay? So for David, things do get better. Things do turn around, okay? Saul dies. He doesn't have to run away anymore. He does become the king. The ark is brought back into Israel, and so the, the presence of God has returned. Israel thrives as a na nation under David, and David is known to this day as a great king. So it gets better. And you know, this is life, right? Bad things happen, but we do move on, and good things happen as well, right? It's normal. It's what we all experience. We've had it. But I want to let you know that in this up and down wave that we all face called life, there is a distinct problem and there's a distinct challenge that we all have and it's this. The disappointments that we have can cause pain, trauma, if you will, that we can so easily, when the good days happen, that we can stuff them down and we can cover them over with the good and think everything is okay, only to be resurfaced later to come out and hurt us and others around us. Unresolved pain, stuffed down and covered over, can cause greater pain later. Now, I want to suggest to you, now obviously, we're here in church this morning, and church should be the most safe place 
in the world for you to have. It should be a place where pain can get uncovered in a safe way and can get healing. That is the desire. That is the idea. But I want to suggest to you that unfortunately, a lot of people don't see it that way. A lot of people see churches, well, this is the place where all the really good people are at or all the perfect people are at. And they kind of get this idea of, man, when I want to come here, I want to make sure I got it all together. I want to make sure that things look right. I want to make sure that people think highly of me. And what we do is that unresolved pain gets pushed down and covered up, and we don't receive the healing that we need. I suggest to you that it should be the exact opposite of that. Now, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know what you think of me. It may be high, it may be low. I really don't know. You may think, well, hey, they asked him to be the pastor of the campus. He must have things together pretty well, or maybe he knows some things. Well, I just want to be really open and honest with you is I have a lot of days where I'm kind of a mess. And it's kind of a little bit off. In fact, maybe the reason why I'm a pastor is because I just have to spend so much time with God and to get help, and that's really the only thing I got to do. I don't know. Sometimes I feel like that, okay? Just being honest. I'm being real. I mean, I can't even chew bubble gum, blow a bubble. I mean, come on. <laughs> now, that's silly, but I, I have stuff. I have faced some... <laughs> Man, extreme pain in my life, some extreme failures that, have, that haunt me to this day, that I have to deal with to this day. And it's extremely challenging. And I want to just submit to you, if you have the idea that coming to church is like going to the, the perfect person club, I would say that you've got that exactly wrong. Coming to church should really, you should think of it more like going to the island of misfit toys. <laughs> You remember the little Rudolph cartoon, The Island of Misfit Toys, that island where all the toys camped out that no kid would want, and Rudolph discovered them. You know, it had the train with the square wheels, and the, 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 the pistol that shot jelly instead of ink, and the doll that wouldn't cry right. Guys, honestly, we're kind of the island of misfit toys. We've all got stuff. We've all got disappointments. We've all got pain that is deep down in there that we're trying to deal with. The only difference really about church is that we're just honest enough to admit that we've got it. And we understand where the help comes from. It comes from the Lord and it comes from each other as well. That's the only difference. There in your notes, this next line, it says this. The nature of hurt, abuse, rejection, and disappointment are such that we do try to cover them up with good things that are happening, but they will eventually seep out. Now let's go back to David in 2 Samuel 11.1. 1, David, with all of his disappointment, and even after the good stuff happened, his pain, his trauma seeped out in the most awful, horrific way. And I'm going to read about it right here. This is 2 Samuel 11.1. 1. It says, in the spring of that year, when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. And late one afternoon, after his midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of his palace. As he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. He sent someone to find out who she was, and, and he was told, She is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her, and when she came to the palace, he slept with her. Now, I, wanna, I want you to understand this. This same David, who was unusually close to God, 
who was chosen king because of his pure heart, who had amazing trust and faith in God, who slayed Goliath with just faith in a stone and a sling, who was an amazing respecter of authority, who even after being chased by Saul, had the opportunity to kill Saul many times, but because he, he, he trusted God so much, he didn't, he didn't kill Saul. He didn't do that because he understood the way that it was supposed to work. And David is known as a worshiper, a man after God's own heart. It is so shocking that this same David, when one pleasurable experience comes in front of him, he jumps right on it. It's shocking. Why? Well, I would submit to you that maybe the reason why is because the unaddressed trauma, the unhealed pain of disappointments that David had had been buried down deep inside, and this was a moment when they were seeping back out to cause devastating results. I want to give you, there in your notes, trauma's timeline. The first one on there says this. When something is not quite right inside of us, we try to find something that will make us feel good. It's the nature of who we are. When something's not quite right, we want to try to make ourselves feel good. What do we do? We eat a lot of food. (laughs) We binge Netflix. Excessive use of alcohol. Drug use. Sex to try to cover the pain. Listen, when you have hurt, abuse, you've been rejected, you've been used, you've been violated, horrible things spoken to you, these things cause disappointments. They cause trauma that is deep within your soul. And if it's left untouched, it can remain dormant for years, for months, years, decades even. But eventually it will seep out. And it will affect everyone around you, including yourself. It'll affect your marriage. It'll affect your kids. It'll affect friendships. It'll affect your work. You might even, might even be, be, begin having addictive behavior. The second thing on there, we all get splinters in our soul that get infected. We've all had splinters before, right? Splinters are tiny little things that are pretty annoying, it's one of the things that's so sad is they get down in there and they get infected. They can have a disproportional amount of pain for the size that they are. You bump against it and it's like, ow, that hurts so bad. That's a tiny little splinter. Splinter, why is that? Well, it's because it's, it's been infected and it's causing disproportional amount of trouble because of what it is. That's the same thing that happens to us with the pain in our lives. Have you ever had anybody tell you, man, you're kind of overreacting or gosh, Why are you blowing this up so much? Well, it may be because you've got some unresolved pain that's affecting you in some way. I want to tell you a story that kind of kind of reminds me of this a little bit. I I can't believe I don't think I've ever told you any stories about one of my one of my best friends from high school. His name is Darren. And you'll probably hear a lot of stories over the course of the life of this church for sure about him. And he's he is nuts. He's a crazy guy, but I've got a lot of crazy Darren stories, and this is one of them. One of the cool things about Darren is he had this really cool go-kart. It was awesome. It had a five-horsepower Briggs & Stratton engine on it, and it had a torque converter on the back of it, which meant we could peel out in it, and we could make it go really fast. One time, we clocked it up to about 55 miles an hour, and that's pretty awesome. That's awesome, but Andrew and Darren were not very smart because we didn't have a helmet that we used when we drove it, and I don't think it even had a seat on it now that I think about it. I think it had a piece of plywood, okay? That's pretty stupid, okay? One day, I was over at Darren's house, and he was doing something. I said, hey, can I take your go-kart out? And he's like, no problem. Go for it. 
So I took the go-kart out, and I was having a blast with the go-kart. And I found that I could, I could get going pretty fast. I could mash on the brakes, turn the wheel, and I could spin that thing and do a 180 on the pavement. And that was really a lot of fun. But I thought, you know what? It'd be even more fun is if I could do a 360 and go all the way around and keep going and go forward, you know, Dukes of Hazard style. That would be great, okay? And I was trying it so as hard as I could, and I couldn't do it. And I thought, you know what? I think I got to get this thing going as fast as I can, and I can do it. So here's what I did. I got that thing going up to top speed, and, and I was just, I don't know what was happening. I was just, yeah, the testosterone was flowing, and the stupidity was flowing, which those two things may go together. I don't know. It was going really fast, and I yanked that steering wheel just as hard over as I could. And I learned in that minute that the that Newton's first law of motion is absolutely true. An object in motion will continue to go in motion, and that object that stayed in motion was me, and I just kept going, and that go-kart was gone. The last thing I remember is there was this pavement flying beneath me, and I was going so fast, I stuck my hands down like this, and, uh, and, and it seemed like it took two minutes before the world had stopped spinning. It was scary. I jumped up immediately. I looked over. The go-kart was upside down. It was smoking. And I looked down, and there was blood all over my hands. There was blood all over my knees. And I thought, okay, this is bad. And Darren lived like a mile away. I was out in the middle of nowhere. So I started walking as fast as I could, and I just thought, I just got to keep walking. And I was walking, my body started to hurt really, really, really bad. And I walked in to where Darren was at, and I walked in with the blood all over me, and he looked at me, and his eyes got as big as saucers. I mean, this is my best friend. And what any best friend would do when he said that, the first thing out of his mouth was, is the go-kart okay? <laughs> I kid you not. And I go, I don't know, but I think I need to go to the hospital. And he's like, okay, one minute. And he went and got the go-kart, brought it back, and then took me to the hospital. Now, the, the good part of the story, true story, you'll probably get to meet him someday, and if you meet him, you can punch him for doing that for me. <laughs> the amazing thing about that story is I went to the hospital, and they got me all cleaned up, and, and I had no broken bones. My head was fine. I didn't hit my head. Everything was fine. I did have to do a little bit of physical therapy on my left wrist, but that was about it. Now, that was 30 years ago. Two months ago, I go to the doctor and have my wrist x-rayed because I was dealing with some, some carpal tunnel. The doctor comes out and he goes, did you ever break your wrist? I was like, no, I actually never did. And he showed me this picture, and there's one tiny little bone that I guess doesn't really matter too much. He goes, yeah, that bone was fractured probably a long time ago, and I thought about that go-kart wreck. And I thought, my goodness, so many years ago, a pain that after all these years comes back, and I thought about the disappointments that we have sometimes can be buried for years. But if unresolved, they can come back, they can seep out, and they can cause a lot of pain. David caused a lot of pain. Fortunately, though, after this happened, he did begin to make a change. He did begin to repent. And I want to read to you what happens. And this is the most amazing scripture. This is Psalm 51. David repents uh, in verse 1. It says, God, give me mercy. From your fountain of forgiveness, I know your abundant love is enough to wash away my guilt because your compassion is so great. Take away the shameful guilt of my sin. Forgive the full extent of my rebellious ways and erase this deep stain on my conscience. For I am so ashamed. I feel such pain and anguish within me. I can't get away from the sting of my, of my sin against you, Lord. 
Everything I did, I did right in front of you, for you saw it all. Against you and you above all have I sinned. Everything you say to me is infallibly true, and your judgment conquers me. And in verse 10, it says, create in me a clean new heart. Fill me with pure thoughts and holy desires, ready to please you. May you never reject me. May you never take from me your sacred spirit. Let my passion for life be restored, tasting joy in every breakthrough you, you bring me to. Hold me close to you with a willing spirit that obeys whatever you say. You see, David was beginning to get the stuff out. He was beginning to get the disappointments out. And he was on his road for some healing, okay? And then we see David in the 23rd Psalm. David, this is David now in healing. And he says this, and you know this well. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. And here's the idea right here. He restores my soul. The disappointments, the pain can be restored. And that's the third one there in your notes. God wants to restore your soul. Now I want to take you back Remember how I told you the story of David after everything was going so bad and his family was taken away and his safe town was burned down? You remember that? There's a real key here in the way that David responded back then that I think that we need to get. And this is 1 Samuel 30, verse 6. It says, but David found strength in the Lord his God. Then he said to Abiathar the priest, bring me the ephod. And the ephod was a garment that they would wear. And they would wear it only whenever they wanted to ask the hard questions to God and figure out what do we do. See, David made the right choice. When everything was going bad, when the pain was going bad, you go to God. You don't run from him. You say, God, I've got the hard questions. What do I do? I need to find strength in you. See, sometimes we will ask the question when we go through pain. We'll say, man, I just want to feel better. Well, the answer is not in feeling better. The answer is discovering where is Jesus in the middle of what I'm feeling right now? Where is Jesus in the middle of the pain? Where was he in the middle of those disappointments? I remember one time I was driving down the road going through, years ago, going through a rough, a rough season. And I'm like, man, this is, I just can't catch a break. And I was just kind of, I felt trapped. And I remember having this thought, well, at least I'm trapped with Jesus right with me. And I'm going to get to learn how to walk with him through this. And you know what? That brought a little bit of a smile to my face because I realized, well, that is the answer because he has overcome the world. He has set us free. I don't know how to walk in it, but he has and he's done it and he's holding on to me and so I'm going to walk with him. Lord, you are with me right in the middle of this pain. It's the way that you can get some joy. It's the way that you can get some healing. It's the way that you can finally get some, some change in things that maybe have even happened a long time ago. Kind of reminds me of the, uh, the old poem that someone wrote. I don't know who wrote it, but it's uh, called Footsteps. Or Footsteps in the Sand, I believe is what it's called. And it was two people or a, a person at the end of his life standing with Jesus. And they were looking on the two sets of footprints walking in the sand. And of course, it was the person, it was Jesus walking together all through his life. But the guy noticed that there was places where there was only one set of prints. 
But those coincided with the most difficult, disappointing moments of his life. And he's like, Jesus, what is this? Jesus says, I've been with you the whole time. Those were the moments when I carried you through it. That's why there's only one set of footprints. And I want you to understand, I know it doesn't seem like it in the moment, in the time, but he was. And he is. And he's there now, carrying you through whatever disappointment you may be facing. Back to the scripture, David in verse 8. Then David asked the Lord. Remember his family's been carried off. Everything's been stolen. His home burned. David asked the Lord. This is what we should do too, and we're in pain. We need to ask the Lord, okay? Should I chase after this band of raiders? Will I catch them? And the Lord told him, yes, go after them. You will surely recover everything that was taken from you. And I think this is the message for us today, is we can recover all that has been taken, the years that have been stolen, the pain that is so deep, that has, been, that has hurt you, it is wanting to seep up. It can all be restored and made right. 1 Samuel 30, verse 18, David got back everything. So they went after them, and they got back everything that had been stolen. All of it came back, and he rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing, smaller great son or daughter, nor anything else that had been taken. David brought everything back. God is wanting to break you out of the defeat, of the hurt, and to propel you forward with your soul restored. He wants to restore all. He wants to recover all for you. No matter what the pain is, no matter how long ago, no matter how real it is, he wants to restore. Thanks for joining us today. If God is doing something in your life or you're looking for ways to get connected, you can learn about groups, teams, and more at onechapel.com welcome. You can subscribe to future messages from One Chapel on your favorite podcast player. And of course, you're always invited to services every Sunday morning at 9 and 11. See you next time.